Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline rider for basically everything football in Florida, in and around the Jacksonville and the Gainesville area. From the AP, Mark Long joins us, and his latest is a podcast as well regarding what was a huge night that we all saw, all witnessed around here a week ago, almost Thursday, for Anthony Richardson being number four overall to the Colts, and Mark Long joins us to talk about that and more now. Mark, thank you for the time. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? All right. We've talked about this. I had Anthony Richardson on the show on Friday. Um, I was, I thought he was an enjoyable conversation to say the least, but translation wise, how quickly do you think it will take a 20 soon to be 21 year old to be NFL ready? Do you think he starts in week one, Mark, from what you have seen out of that 13 game experience, or might it take a little bit longer here? I mean, how much longer, you know, could he really wait? You know, when you're talking about the fourth overall pick, we've we've lived this in Jacksonville. Go back and uh, Blake Bortles was a third overall pick in whatever year that was, 2015, I believe it was, and they insisted, well, you know, Blake's going to sit, Blake's going to sit, Blake's going to sit. Chad Henney started the season three games in. You know, he's just getting blown up and turning the ball over and not getting anything done, and they switched to – they switched to guard or to, they switched to Blake Bortles. So that's that's what you're in the same boat here. You know, you can say all you want to Gardner Minshew, blah blah blah. Eventually, Anthony Richardson is going to be the starter. I don't know what 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 are you waiting for? What would you you just going to wait for it to implode? You're going to wait for you know for Gardner Minshew to you know knock you out of a game before you you make the move? I think you're better off just throwing him out there. Clearly, you think he's the guy. He's your franchise quarterback. This guy started games. He's played high-level games against high-level opponents. Uh, get him out there. Get him ready, and and see what he can do from day one. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you gain anything from coddling him. Not when you've got when your quarterback options are Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew, two guys we've seen in Jacksonville pretty well. Uh, you know, it, it'd be one thing if you're sitting there, if you're you're you know the Titans, and you're sitting there with with you know with. Tannehill, a guy who's gotten you to the playoffs several times, and you know, and you've drafted Will Levis in the second round. That may be a different situation, but in this situation with Indy, I would start him from day one and uh, see what he's got. It's uh, Mark Long who has covered the Gators, covered Anthony Richardson, covered the AFC South, specifically Jacksonville and Jaguars on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Of course, we've gone over it time and time again, the good and the bad for the 13 games quarterback by Anthony Richardson for the Florida Gators. You're at a much closer vantage point, viewpoint studied it a lot more than we have is there something that is not being portrayed in either the positive or the negative that you have heard nationally regarding anthony richardson and his translation at what's going to be a 21 year old quarterback in week number one his translation to the nfl level is there something that we're not aware of at this point no i no i think the guy's been you know dissected and analyzed and criticized and and uh, prophesized, you know, about as as much as anybody in recent memory for a draft. Maybe even, you know, you know, Trevor Lawrence was a guy, you know, everybody knew was going to be the number one pick. I think he's been more scrutinized than that. So everybody said, you know, he's picked Anthony apart. I think this. I think he's had enormous pressure from from day one and dealt with it really well at Florida. When you're talking about a Gainesville kid who grew up watching the Gators. And, you know, the Gators had him on their radar when he was 16, 17 years old. And then he blossoms into this stud quarterback and was a great uh, recruit for, for Dan Mullen. And then people were clamoring for him, you know, as a freshman. And then when he did get on the field, the things he did were, you know, off the charts. So you saw what 
basically what an NFL evaluator saw. You saw everything the Colts fell in love with. And then he didn't perform when he did finally become the starter under Billy Napier. He didn't necessarily perform like people thought. There were certainly a lot of highs, but there were a, a number of lows. And that's, that's the stuff that everybody's talked about, right? Can he become a consistent passer? You know, can he be effective running the ball? You know, is he Cam Newton? I, you know, that's obviously the comp, and he welcomes that comp because that's a guy he grew up idolizing, and he does kind of pattern his game a little bit after Cam Newton. So, you know, all those things you see, I will say this, he's unbelievably loyal, and that bodes well for him. He stuck at Florida even though he had opportunities to to jump in the portal and play elsewhere. He stuck with his agent even though he had an $800,000 offer to go to another agent. He, the guys he's put around him are all local guys, people he's worked with from his trainers to his quarterback coach to his agent, you know, people he's dealt with for years. So that loyalty, I think, is 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 going to – that'll pay off at some point for the Indianapolis Colts and their fan base because clearly this is a guy who uh, builds bonds and builds ties with people around him, and he's going to do that with the city up there. Did he um, think at all – just past the barely thinking stage, I guess, in this case, about hitting the transfer portal. Was that ever even slightly a consideration? Oh, sure. No, no question about it. Uh, you know, he came back and when Dan – you figure Dan Mullen, the guy you commit to, you want to play for, when Dan Mullen gets fired, yeah, there's no question he contemplated jumping in the portal and, you know, going and seeing what else is out there. Emory Jones was coming back. So the starting quarterback's coming back. There's a new coach in town who didn't recruit you. And you got scooters out there, you know, who are willing to pay you to come to their school. He absolutely considered it and then thought better of it. And, you know, I think for him, it's like, how do you turn your back on the community, the you know, your friends, your family, and the community of Gainesville that you've donated so much time and effort in? How do you turn your back on them and go play somewhere else? It was never... I don't think it was ever a real strong consideration, but it certainly was a consideration. How do you not when, right. when people are flashing the kind of money that is running around in NIL circles for quarterbacks? Hey, Mark Long of the AP covers not just Florida and the Gators, but Jacksonville, the rest of the AFC South, was with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You look at now the landscape of the AFC South, and you cover Trevor Lawrence down there, but what do you think about Houston, Tennessee, and the Colts with the quarterback work they did this past week. Yeah, it's very clear that they're all chasing Jacksonville. You've seen what Trevor Lawrence has done in Jacksonville. You've had a very Midland franchise for the better part of 20 years. Sure, there was that 2017 run that was very defensive-based with Blake Bortles at quarterback. And, um, you know, they've turned the corner now with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and the pieces they've put around him. And I think you, you can't look at that and not say, you know, we got to fix this, especially when you're the Colts. And I think it's, what was it, five different quarterbacks in the last five seasons. You're looking at, you know, Tennessee that's built around Ryan Tannehill and a 30-plus-year-old Derrick Henry or 29-year-old Derrick Henry who's certainly got a lot of miles on his leg. And you look at Houston's obviously in complete rebuild mode after the Deshaun Watson fiasco. So, you know, they're – they all looked at it and saw the same thing. Jacksonville's getting away. And the way you catch up and the way you sustain catching up and competing with them is to land the, the most important position in, in all of team sports, which is that quarterback. So they all went out and did it. Um, obviously, you know, Houston doubled down and, you know, took the best, one of the best defensive players in the draft as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think all three of them at least give their fan bases hope that now, maybe not in year one, but certainly in year two, like in Jacksonville's case, or maybe even year three, you're going to have this thing figured out. If you've got the right coach, you've got the right quarterback, it makes it a lot easier for everything else around it. You have a bigger margin for error, and that's what these teams didn't have. You didn't have that when you're changing quarterbacks every year in Indy. You don't have that with Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, and you certainly don't have that in with Davis Mills in in uh, Houston. So fix that, and then everything else usually tends to fall in place, or at least it becomes a lot easier to hide your 
weaknesses and your mistakes. Hey, Mark, in Jacksonville, too, it seems like anything would have been better than Urban Meyer, honestly. But it seems like that they absolutely hit the right note with Doug Peterson. Um, do you think that he was the absolute best coach for the progression that we have clearly seen under center for Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. And, uh, you know, we've talked to Doug Peterson about it ad nauseum, and we've talked to owner Shot Khan about it a bunch. And, you know, trying to figure out what took the Jags. I mean, they almost screwed this thing up. Let's see, if you go back, they, Doug Peterson was the first guy they interviewed right after they fired Urban Meyer because he was out of a job and available. And then they didn't circle back to Doug Peterson for 50 days. They circled back and interviewed Doug a second time after they got turned down by Nate Hackett, who took the job in Denver. After, you know, it fell through with Byron Leftwich, they were going to hire him as the offensive coordinator at Tampa Bay. And, you know, you look at those, how that has played out now. Hackett gets fired after, in his first season. And Byron Leftwich is, you know, basically getting run out of Tampa. I mean, people were so down on him last year. So that's what it could have been in Jacksonville, another mistake. And they really probably got lucky here with the way it unfolded and to land back at Peterson. And you go through Peterson's track record, you know, with him, he got the best out of Carson Wentz. He won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. We've seen Carson Wentz in, in Indianapolis. We've seen Nick Foles in Jacksonville, you know, and now Indianapolis – those guys, that's winning, winning big games with those guys. That's a feat. So Doug Peterson probably didn't get enough credit for what he did in Philadelphia. And then as Doug puts it, he's like, everybody's looking for the shiny new penny, right? So he understands how, you know, at 54 years old, 53 years old, he's getting over, he's getting overlooked for guys like Byron Leftwich and Nate Hackett, much younger guys who are offensive corners, up and coming offensive corners, because that's what everybody's looking for, right? And so, you know, I think it worked out for Jacksonville. There's no doubt about it. Trevor Lawrence is is all in, and this team's all in on Doug Peterson, what they got going. And I think a big part of it is they're going to, for the most part, return the entire coaching staff. I think they have one. They lost their receivers coach and they replaced their receivers coach. But other than that, everybody from last season is going to return. And that, that really speaks volumes to have that kind of continuity for the players year in to year out and to be in the same system with the same terminology from, you know, year one to year two, that's, that's where you make that big jump. Yeah, and that's, the that, Jags need to make a big jump to close the gap on Cincinnati and Kansas City. Yeah, and it's, it's something you, you hadn't seen. Even in, in 2017, I, I'm reminded of, I think it was 2017, when the Jags went to the AFC title game, right? Yeah. And it was yeah. – the Colts had a season like that in 95 where it was just kind of out of nowhere. It was a comet. And you just kind of at the tail end of the regular season jumped on and went along for about a three-week ride that was was something around here that nobody had ever seen. Now, they'd seen in Jacksonville some success in the past, but, you know, that was kind of like one of these comets. But now it's like the foundation is laid down there for a long period of time. And with that foundation, you've got to have a good offseason. You've got to have a good offseason in terms of what you do for the agency and bringing in and letting go and in terms of the draft. So how would you view the work that they have done in the offseason season so far there yeah probably an incomplete right now because the two biggest areas of need they had to get a pass rusher if you go back to last season the lingering memory for the Jacksonville Jaguars yes they came from behind and had some a lot of great wins down the stretch they knocked Tennessee out of the playoffs all these things uh the Chargers knocked the Chargers out in the first round of playoffs. but the lingering memory of that season is going to be they they hobbled Patrick Mahomes, knocked him out of the game. He comes back all taped up with a badly sprained right ankle, and then they couldn't get to him. He's on one leg running around, and they still can't get to him. So they had to get a pass rusher, and they didn't do it. They needed a nickel cornerback. They didn't do it. So they addressed pass rush in the fifth round of, you know, really the fourth and fifth round, but really the fifth round with outside linebacker out of Louisville, and then they, they don't address cornerback until the sixth round. So that part's a little head-scratching that here you those are your big needs. But I, what they did was they doubled down, tripled down really on Trevor Lawrence. They added an offensive tackle, a tight end, and a running back and said their first three picks and said, we're going to get better offensively. 
Everybody thinks we need to get better defensively, but we're going to get better offensively. We added, you know, they re-signed Evan Ingram, or at least tagged him, and they're working to re-sign him. They bring in, they made a trade late last year in, you know, November for Calvin Ridley. They're going to add Calvin Ridley, a 1,400-yard receiver to the mix to maybe be that deep threat that they're missing. So they add Tank, you know, Tank Bigsby in the third round. They add a fullback, all in hopes of being better on short yards. That was a big uh, weakness of, of that team last year was they were not very good on third and one, third and short, fourth and short. So they they added a lot of pieces. They continue to build an offense, which is a little bit of a surprise. The question is, can that can you can it, can you be good enough to outscore Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Kansas City when it matters? So Mark Long of the AP covers Jacksonville, the AFC South, and the Florida Gators with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if I've ever asked anybody this question because it was almost like it was out of sight, out of mind for Calvin Ridley during that suspension but now as you mentioned he's with the team that you cover in Jacksonville how much interest lead wide was there in him where he ultimately ends up with the team you cover in Jacksonville that's a good question we don't know that we don't you know Atlanta and Jacksonville neither one Jacksonville didn't know what other interest was out there they knew he got put on the trading block but they didn't know who else was vying for him right uh, so, you know, and Atlanta hasn't come out and said, you know, how many teams they had beaten down the door for him. I think two couple things. A, it helped that Jacksonville had draft capital to, to trade for him. B, they had the salary cap space to take him on. Not that he's huge, you know, $9 million, but, you know, it's really a one-year prove-it deal, and they're going to have to pay him if he's any good. Not only that, they got to pay Trevor Lawrence next year. So they have, you know, the, the belief that, they're, that this is a long-term fit. And then he – for, for him, not that he had any control over it, but this is a guy from Miami who played at Alabama, drafted by the Falcons. This is a you know a little bit of a Florida kid. And so for him to land in Jacksonville, where, close to where he was working out with his family down south in, in Miami area, Fort Lauderdale, that was big for him. So I think a lot of it was all, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm. And then the Jags had a – the other thing was the Jags had – a guy on their staff who had spent the previous 12 years in Atlanta. So all of a sudden you've got a guy in house who drafted uh, Calvin Ridley, who knows everything about him and knew exactly what happened, the details maybe that weren't public knowledge and maybe some background on what kind of character you're adding to a team. All those, I think it was kind of the perfect storm for him to land in Jacksonville. Yeah, it just seems like I, I like what they did a year ago uh, in free agency, and I know they were widely panned for the amount of money they paid Christian Kirk, but yeah. I, I look at it in terms of not just production individually, Mark, but production in terms of the team, what it did to help that team more potent offensively. To me, you can't argue it, and to me, if you're a team that you know is on the verge and you believe with your quarterback, you go out and pay your skill position guys some money, just like Jacksonville did. I don't know if that's going to happen as often um, as I believe it should, but to me, it absolutely should. That's just the moral of the story from what I witnessed and you witnessed with Kirk a year ago and helping out offensively that Jacksonville team. Yeah, and they, they, they've figured out, that, and they've made this very public, that they need to build through the draft. That's their biggest failure. Right. Why this team isn't where the Colts were back in the day, where maybe the Titans have been more recently, is they didn't build through the draft. They, they supplemented. Even go back to that 2017 team. That 2017 team was really good defensively because it signed Calais Campbell – and it signed A.J. Boye, and it signed, you know, uh, uh, Gibson at safety, and it was one other one, Mile. Um, anyway, Malik Jackson at defense. They had signed four big-time defensive players on that team. So that's why that team got good, really, and it was a flash in the pan, as you mentioned. And even this team, with that receiving core, with Kirk and Jones, Zay Jones, both of them, you know, have had a ton of catches last year, both over 80. So that part is not very sustainable. You got to be able to draft guys and retain them. Uh, what they did do, you know, with Ridley is, you know, Ridley's on a rookie deal, so that's going to help. And maybe you re-sign him. It's not, you know, not as bad as overpaying in free agency. 
So that's where they got to get better is is drafting and then retaining their draft pick. They have not done a good job of that over the years, but it has looked better the last two years. They've gotten pretty good contributions. Obviously, the quarterback, and then the same year, Travis Etienne, their their workhorse running back. Those two guys have hopefully, for the Jags' sake, turned the corner here, throw in you know, their starting cornerback, Tyson Campbell, starting safety, Andre Sisco. There are certainly some draft picks in the mix now who uh, look to be long-term pieces of uh, of the build. That's uh, Mark Long of the AP. He covers the Jags, the AFC South, and the Florida Gators with really a top-to-bottom sketch for you regarding the upside that he believes in Anthony Richardson and especially playing early in Jacksonville and the rest of the AFC South, directionally where they're going. Mark's kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Mark, I appreciate that. That's great information, and uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure, coming up in the offseason. Enjoy your time down in Jacksonville. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, The Athletic, writes regarding the Colts, friend of the show, Zach Kiefer joins us. So, if, if you're the Colts, and mind you, how much does Anthony Richardson need to show for them to punch his clock in week number one because that's what I want to see. I'm assuming everybody else is on board with me, but what exactly would you expect he would have to show the brain trust to be allowed to do that and be ready to go in week one? Yeah, I think I think we might need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Ooh, I can't pump you know, the I, brakes. I can't do that. I'm yeah, brakeless. I'm brakeless. I I, it's too fun. It's too fun to envision. No, my, my feet go through the floor like Fred Flintstone. That's how I'm trying to break here. Let's let's just pause and remember this kid's 20 years old. He turns 21 in a month. Like, he can't even go buy a beer right now. And he doesn't have a lot of football to his name. Yep. Like, this is a big, important point, And he's only played 13 games in college. And that was one of the biggest reservations Ed Dodge, the assistant GM, had. He was like, what are we doing scouting this guy? He's only got 13 starts. Now, I get that he needs rest. He needs to play. And he needs to see live defenses, right? And I think Westfield's training camp is going to be huge for him. Right. And I think like John, if you're out there, like anyone out there is going to be able to know, like you guys are going to watch him every day and sure. He's going to make some wild plays. Like that's going to be fun to watch, but it's the consistency. I think it's how Richardson responds to failure. Cause he's going to have some rough days. He's going to get picked off a couple times. Now, maybe not by this defense, this secondary, that's a bunch of rookies, but I feel like how he responds to his bad days is going to tell them a lot, whether he can handle it because it's going to get really tough when they get to week one and they start playing real defenses. And then secondly, what does he look like over a quarter, maybe two quarters in the preseason game? Because that's when you're going to get a feel for what it's going to really be like. But look, my, my stance is not going to change on this. Like, I don't think he's going to start week one. I know that's what Jim Irsay hinted at. I know that's what the fans want. I know a lot of people out there want to see him, you know, learn on the job, right? But but this is not even a guy that started two years in college. So if he waits six or eight games, that might not be a bad thing. Yeah, I got. I, I have no longer have breaks. So I'm getting too old <laughs> to have breaks. You know what I mean? Like we got to we got to expedite yeah, all these processes around here. Huh? You what? know, like this isn't about 2023. This is about five years down. Nah, the line. You, well, I mean, you know what? Handle him is important. I understand, but you're much younger than I am, and a lot of us out there is you got more time. I, I don't know how much time I have. So when you're able Man, to conveniently punch the clock for whatever reason, punch that bad boy and let's get going. Let's get this thing down the road. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I think a big, big, big part of this, and, and you've talked about this, is the expectations are going to be completely different this year. They need to be completely reset. I think the fans know that. I think they know this guy's going to have ups and downs and he's going to fail. There's no need to make the playoffs. There's no need to win even eight games or nine games. Like, I think Jim Murphy said it best. He's like, you know if this team's headed in the right direction. They could be 6-11 and 11 and still heading in the right direction. So I think you can be able to tell by November, December, early January, if they've got something in this guy. And they're not going to pull the plug after one year, obviously. But I think you, you definitely need to get him on the field. But how they handle this is going to play out over time. But, but again, it, it's kind of nice to not have to win right away. They're, they're going to build long term. 
You also think about it in terms of this, too, and Zach Kiefer joins us, is that obviously bumps in the road, if you started in week number one, and I'm still all for it and hopefully he can, but let's just say you start him in week one and two bad things could happen. One, which could happen anyway, anytime, whatever, is being injured, but the worst would be you get out there and then you realize he's not ready and then you have to utilize the insurance policy this Gardner meant you after you've already started, you know, the the rookie fourth overall selection, that would not appear to be good business right there. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of, right? It, it, it doesn't hurt you to start Minshew for five games. It doesn't hurt you. He's fine. He's probably as good as you're going to get as a backup bridge guy, right? He knows the offense. He's going to know where the ball goes. And I think him playing will show Richardson what the offense should look like when it's run by a competent quarterback who's comfortable with psyching. So, like you said, if you throw Richardson out there and he looks totally out of sorts, like he doesn't know what's going on, then you bring in Minshew. Then it's a really tough question on when you bring Richardson back. So that just gets messy. I'm not saying there's a perfect way to do it. I just feel like there's less risk if you start Minshew for the first month or so just to, just to work the rookie in when it's the right time. But, again, you can't predict everything. And, and Minshew could get hurt in the second quarter of the first game, and then it's like, all right, rookie, you're up. You know, it's interesting, too. They bring in Gardner Minshew, and there is a section of the fan base out there is much like you, cool, because they kind of want to see Minshew play. And there's a belief in Minshew. This would be something, to me, that would be much more difficult if you were counting on an Ellinger or a Folds. And again, I know that you know, neither one are going to play significant roles at all, if, if at all, in this. But if it were somebody other than Minshew, where it appears there's a little bit of interest in the fan base around here, this could also be viewed differently by them. You agree? Yeah, and don't you think part of the reason they're so high on Minshew, they watched him carve up the Colts a couple of years ago, right? 19 for 21. And, and he played pretty well with the Eagles last year, and, and I just don't think it hurts anything to, to throw him out there. But the other thing is, why is Nick Foles still on this roster? Like, we were trying to figure that out today, and it's just like, I don't think he wants to be here. I don't think the Colts really have room for him. There's just no point. There's just no point. So I would imagine that gets resolved pretty soon with the release and they'll eat a million and a half. But I thought that would come right after the draft when they got their quarterback. Man, all that money on quarterbacks over the years. That's an an amazing figure right there. Yeah, I guess the nice thing is what's Richardson going to cost you over the next four years? $35 million? Yeah, This is where you build your team. This is where you go out and spend some money and, and build an infrastructure. Because if you hit on him, that number is just going to get massively big. Even with that, is it still pretty backwards, though, considering that you got a running back that's you know needs to be playing at that level that you would expect in a win-now situation? You know, DeForest Buckner needs to be in a win-now situation. Shaquille Leonard, if he's capable, a win-now situation. You know, Quentin Nelson, the offensive line, in a win-now situation. It's really backwards compared to what other teams do to start building from that quarterback position and building outward. The Colts are doing this upside down. Yeah, how different does it feel in 2012, right? But, look, it was always going to be difficult and tricky and, 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 and a little messy because 12 months ago, you were a team that was essentially going for it, right? You had these veteran contracts. You were shelling out money to Darius and to Quentin and to Buckner because you thought you were ready to win the division. That was the big goal. Win the division and see where we go in the playoffs with Matt Ryan. We know they never sniffed close to that. And the reality is, if you move all off of that in one offseason, I think the risk is – what is this rookie walking into? And I know this is something Chris Ballard's thought about a lot, is what does he walk into? And that's why I think you, you pay Jonathan Taylor, because Shane Steichen is, is obviously Shane Steichen had a huge say, if not the deciding vote in this Anthony Richardson pick. But secondly, the idea of Richardson and Taylor in the same backfield, that's exciting as hell, man. Like, they are pumped to see what happens with that. And that's why you want to get this O-line fixed. I feel like adding pieces and, and, and getting better on offense and doing everything you can to help the rookie quarterback, I'm totally cool with that. you got to make this easy for him because this kid's not going to come in. Remember what Andrew Luck walked into in 2012? That, that offense was rookies everywhere. It wasn't very good besides Reggie Wayne, and they won 11 games. That ain't happening. This kid isn't that kid at quarterback. So as much infrastructure as you can build around him, that's going to help them. But if you're flipping it to the defense, I don't know. It sounds like Buckner wanted to be here, and they want him here, and he's a great leader. I can see why they want to keep him. 
But again, where are you? Like, where are you paying these veterans and paying this rookie quarterback? That'll be the fascinating part because I just don't see a ton of wins coming next year because of so many questions at the quarterback spot. Zach Kiefer of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. This was just tweeted to me, and I'd thought about it before we kind of got off uh, down a different path as far as the Colts conversation is concerned. You start Minshew, and again, hypothetically, they come out of the gate, they play well, they win. Is that because you're winning and the fan base, I'm sure, would be thrilled? Is that the best of both worlds, even without Anthony Richardson playing? Because it seems like if if Minshew were to play and the fans would get thrilled, let's say he wins some games, that would be stunting the growth of Richardson further down the road. What do you think? That's a crazy thought. The Colts actually winning the season opener. Yeah, it's weird. I, I know. I, I know. I, I never, I never considered that. Um, I guess it's possible. It's not like they're going to have a tough schedule. But is is a redshirt year the absolute worst thing that could happen to them? I don't think it is. I don't think it's the worst thing. I know the fans will not want that. They don't want to be patient. Now, I definitely agree that he needs to play and he needs to get reps. But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if he sits and watches for a little bit of time. I really don't think he's going to get a lot of scout team reps, and I realize those are not the same thing. But it's, there's a lot on his plate, and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. There was another quarterback who came into the league and sat for a year, and he had some accuracy issues and some platform delivery issues and all those question marks about his scrambling uh, Sandlot-type style, and he took off in year two. Now, I'm not comparing Anthony Richardson to Patrick Mahomes, but if you read the scouting reports, there's a lot of similarities. A year in this system might not be a bad thing for him if he doesn't see the field much. But again, I'm like the rest of you. I want to see him play too. Yeah, I just, I, I to me, I just want to see him get going, right? I want to see him get going because I just think that that's good. That's good for him. That's good for the organization. That's good for the fans. Even if he doesn't play well, the fact that they deem him good to go. It justifies a lot of these early season fears that I'm sure some have about this not being the right selection. I mean, it's see, I make fun of you know me being old and oh, I'm on the clock here, but this decision's also on the clock. And I know that Chris Ballard's got three years. I know Shane Steichen's got a you know a six year deal. Basically, three years is what I think Ballard's going to have to get this entire thing figured out on the reboot. I just think if you come to the conclusion that he is good to go, then you push him out there and he's good to go. That's where I am. Yeah. Look, if if he plays, it's because one person decided he was ready, and that's going to be the final seal of approval, and that's Shane Steichen. Those are the words of Jim Mercer. We we know that he's had a thing or two to say about who's playing quarterback the last 12 months. That didn't go well. I do think he's going to step back and let his coach make this decision. But Steichen has got a different feel in this building right now. You listen to the players, and he's very direct in meetings, and, and they're starting to believe that what he says is the right thing. So Steichen's not going to mess around with this kid. He knows his future here is tied to the success or failures of Anthony Richardson. So if Steichen, who has the say on when this kid actually gets on the field, decides he's ready to play, then, then Steichen approved it, and that's a good sign. Then Steichen feels comfortable – with Richardson's grasp of the offense, with what's going to come. And, and like you said, like it's, it's not going to be pretty probably for most of the season. But if they believe he's ready to go out there, like let's go let him learn. Like Peyton was 3-13, and 13, for goodness sake, and through 28 interceptions. So, you know, this city can live through that. And if you see some good things at the end of the year, you start to get really excited about what could be possible in 2024. What are they going to do with Ellinger? Is he going to be – the third quarterback in this? Are they going to carry three or just two? How do you think they're going to end up doing this? We, we know ultimately what's going to happen to Foles, but what about Ellinger? Yeah, I think they keep Ellinger. I mean, I, look, Chris Ballard loves Sam Ellinger, and, and I know he didn't play great last season, but by the end he was certainly better than Nick Foles, and you could argue he's better than Matt Ryan. Um, and I think there's a lot of value, a lot of value in keeping Ellinger in that room, whether he's on the 53 or on the practice squad for the development and the nurturing of Anthony Richardson. I've talked to Sam about the offense, and he knows this inside and out. Now, that was Frank Reich's offense, but I have no doubt he'll pick up Steichen's offense quickly. And there's a lot to be said for a guy that could be essentially a quarterback coach. I mean, Ellinger knows he knows football to that level. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, and he was thrown into the fire last year, and he knows what it's like, and he can tell Richardson certain things about what to expect 
that's different from the practice field and game day. But I think absolutely Ellinger will be on the roster in training camp. Whether he makes the final 53 remains to be seen. Maybe you can keep him on the practice squad. I don't know, though. He might get picked up by another team. But I don't think they'll have any hesitation keeping three quarterbacks on the roster this year. So Zach Keefe of the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, did it dictate to you that they didn't go after a linebacker in the draft that they believe that Shaquille Leonard is going to be good to go, or is there still still a lot of crossing the fingers and hoping he's going to get, be good to go here? What do you think? No, I don't think you can assume that at all. Like, let's be real, man. I mean, like this is this is not the Andrew Luck shoulder, but at this point, nobody can know for sure. Now, you think he's going to be back? You hope he's going to be back. But it was it was not a great linebacker draft. I don't think the Colts believe that. And they've got, you know, they got Zaire, they got EJ Speed. I was a little surprised they didn't add something simply because insurance is nice. And they've drafted really well at that position in the past. I heard Franklin, Matt Adams, Fabio Carrique, uh, I'm blanking on the guy that went to Cleveland, Anthony Walker. Anthony Walker was a good pick in the seventh round. So um, it, it's anyone's guess right now. Like they can hope, it, you know, Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard's going to be back. But with the nerve, and with all these surgeries, like, I still think it's a question mark. And that's, that's not going to be answered, one, until he's back on the field in Westfield and training camp, whenever that is. And then more importantly, when he's on the field doing what he used to do on game day. That's uh, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Hotline. Man, I appreciate it. What you got coming up as far as writing is concerned? Well, the rookies are in town tomorrow. Starting nice. tomorrow, and then they got a three-day mini camp Friday Saturday, Sunday. I believe we're talking to the quarterback on Saturday. Yep. Uh, we'll get our eyes. You know, he'll be in a Colts jersey for the first time on Friday. So uh, you can imagine, like Mike Chappell always says, can't write about the quarterback too much. He was uh, all with me on Friday. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a twenty-year-old, right? I don't yeah. think I would have been that mature at twenty. So I think I think there's some some promise there. I mean, I, and I've said that about it. Matt Ryan last year. I really enjoyed that. Wentz the year before. Oh, I really okay. enjoyed that. You know, Philip Rivers <laughs> enjoyed that. So clearly, what I've enjoyed is meaningless uh, compared to what the uh, translation is, wins and losses wise. But but now nah, he was uh, yeah, but, a good conversation. But I will say this: How many years of experience in the NFL dealing with media do those guys have? Wentz mm-hmm. and Rivers and and Ryan, and this kid's 20. Like, yeah. He can't even go buy a beer. So um, with all the pressure and going to his hometown school, I was pretty impressed at how he handled a lot of that. But then again, it's easy this time of year, man. Everyone yep. believes they had a great draft, and everyone believes better. this season's going to be better than the last. It's, it's going to get really hard when they're 1-7 and seven and they're trying to figure out what to do with the quarterback. Well done, Zach. I appreciate that. Have a great weekend. Thanks, man. You too. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on The Fan. Kevin Bowen joins us now. So I'm at La Hacienda for Cinco de Mayo on Friday. And I thought, why not we just get everybody at the station together and all take part on Friday. What do you think? Can you make it? Boy. Um, Why don't we do that, that? Is that out in, uh, out in Geist? Long it is out in there? Geist. Yeah, I think I looked at it. It is literally an hour from where I live. So, yes, Geist. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife grew up there, so some old stoppy grounds there. I will be at Colts practice for – Wait a minute. Maddie's a Geist girl, huh? Well. She is. Yeah, she went to uh, Amy Beverlyn, which is right out there to begin her education, and then well. St. Simon, which is right across the street. So I think she's ventured to La Hacienda. That, well, how did she pick you? How did, how did you end up in this equation? How did she pick you? Were there not more well, not better talent out there? Yeah, you could say that, you know, <laughs> desperate times lead to desperate measures. You know, maybe it's kind of where um, where she was at there. So, yeah, I I, I guess friends through friend cathedral Chatard connection maybe uh, a little bit there. Um, did she go yeah. to Chatard? Yeah, yeah, she's a Trojan. Oh wow! This is my mom as well. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Huh. All right. So where'd you guys meet? Well, Ned and I. You. Um, like what? What? What was the situation? 
It was a little bit tamer than you would think. Um, it was more of just like I'm hanging out with some cathedral guys that are Shatard friends. She's obviously friends with the Shatard crew. Um, yeah, so it was a very just non, um, you know, oh, drunk at a bar sort of situation. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was very drunk at a bar. <laughs> I probably stoned at the bar too. <laughs> I was probably stoned at the bar too. I was, I had a little bit of everything at the bar that night. So yes, yeah, covered covered all your bases. There. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had uh, it all. But no, she lived in Chicago for a few years after um, after college, and then moved back here. And uh, we did meet, uh, see each other one night at uh, Punch Bowl Social. Have you ever done a show from there? Yes, I have. In fact, yeah. I think the last time I did a show from there. Um, and I, I remember shows by, especially if I have really bad arguments during it, and I spent, I spent most of the show, I think Golden State was in town. Golden State was in town. It was kind of still the early stages. They were already certainly acclimated to being a, a fun-to-watch great team, but it was the early stages of Golden State being what they are now. And I remember ripping everybody for wearing Golden State gear and, you know, wondering why, oh, yeah, you know, the Pacers don't get this. They don't get prime time. But Golden State comes here and you get prime time. So it's literally one of the worst and one of the whiniest arguments I've ever had. And that's where I remember the shows vividly. Like, I remember I remember the shows when I used to argue and I had this argument that instead of cutting Manning, you should keep him and still draft luck and have luck sit behind Manning for a number of years. But now, no, now I say Anthony Richardson needs to play. I'd love to see him play right away. So I'm completely full of crap. That's me. Full of crap. It's the ride with full of crap. That's quite the memory. I always reference when Golden State comes into town. That's the Carmel Pups night yeah. inside of uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse. You got all the all, all the Pups kids wearing their Steph Curry jersey. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, La Hacienda. That could get interesting. It could, and you better be there too because Lunazul Tequila and Brent Halverson. Uh, the samples the samples are fairly large. Substantial oh, yeah. samples is what happens. You've seen this before, so yeah, I want to get you and I know. Uh, I know uh, Prefontaine's getting ready for Saturday. I'm going to see if he wants to come, too. <laughs> Boy, Prefontaine has already said that. That was a great one. He's already setting up for, like, man, I'm going to need a wheelchair graduation coming up next Wednesday. And, you know, last year at this time, it was, I, I don't know, I think it was shin splints or something. He was something that was you know really bothering him leading into the race but yeah this year it's it's been a lack of training too much score too yeah. much tutoring he says and so he hasn't been able to uh well see does he realize it's not really that uh humans like you and i understand that it's not you know work or outside influences playing a role it's the fact that really truly running sucks that's <laughs> what it is and listen, I understand why people do it. They do it, uh, you know, emotionally for emotional reasons. You know, they, they there are so many really good stories there, and there is no sign of disrespect coming from me whatsoever. But sorry if you're going to ask me, running sucks. It's a punishment. Like everything, every time I ever had to run, it was because, hey, you know what? You you skipped school. Hey, you left school early. Hey, you got in trouble. Hey, I heard you were at that party after the game. Hey, you didn't get home until, you know, five in the morning. It was always, okay, now go run, right? It was, oh, go run. It was always a punishment. So that's how I view running right now. And my, my son loves distance running, and I, I think he's psychotic, but that's uh Yeah, no. No one's ever said to me, congrats, Kevin. Let's go run a 5K to celebrate. <laughs> Way to go. Happy birthday, Kevin. Yeah. Let's go run. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. My brother-in-law's running, and I'm just like, gosh, man, you're just a different – and my dad ran the mini for years, and I, I certainly did not get his running gene whatsoever. So, happy for Jake. He said he's going to be, you know, running walking and petting dogs and doing the whole thing. So, can you imagine collaborate when he gets inside the track. Can you imagine all the chafing – that's going to be going on during that. So much chafing. A couple of years ago, and I hadn't I, I hadn't played in a while, and oh my gosh, boy, you want to talk about issues afterwards? You know where I was? I was struggling there. What yeah, did you, that, what, what did you play? Were you running? What were you doing? Pickup. 
Oh, yeah. See, that's that's different for me, though, because it's like running to spots and the occasional cut and things like that. It's just not long-distance running. Yeah. It's not like you, you know, against the hardwood. It's In running, it's like you against the road. I just don't get it. So. Yeah, my, uh, my metabolism is, is shot. Like, it used to be yes. pretty good, and now it's just gone. Yeah. And so I, I, I do attempt to run, like, once every, whatever, two or three weeks, and I can't tell you. Once I hit that first drop of sweat, wherever that is, how far it is in on the run, I'm like, all right, my work here is done. Time to head home. Yeah. Let's just walk. Let's just walk the rest of the way. Yeah. My metabolism is like an old woman churning butter now, and it has been for like the last 20 years. It's sad. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, I migrated from the large to the XL section. Yeah. But um, anyway, I want to get Jake out there. I, I tried to convince uh people that are going to be in the mini on saturday that uh, i've i've read some studies where if you drink tequila the night before you run a long distance marathon or a long distance uh running event that it it does help you out you do run better which is a complete (laughs) lie but that's that's what i'm telling everybody but no it's going to be a great time so i thought i'd get everybody out to the station hang out with us for a little bit have a good time so if you can make it please do yeah, I will be watching Anthony Richardson early in the afternoon, but I actually think it sounds like a, da- a decent little family outing for us, so I will certainly keep you posted. Now, do you do you spoil the entire meal by dipping too many chips? Oh, without question. Yeah, but if you eat the chips fast enough, and the meal, as long as there's not a long time between the the you know chips and then the entree, yeah, uh, your you, your stomach can't tell your brain that you're full, so you just continue to eat, and then you then you regret it, you know, once you get home. But as long as you can kind of stay with it at the uh, at that current pace. Uh, then you're then you're good to go. I always thought that uh, some of the better places that you will go to, they offer more than just salsa with those chips. If they offer queso before you Ooh. have to ask, that means that? that place is very special. I don't know. Do they? Well, they make you pay I for have... it now everywhere. Queso. I was gonna. I was gonna say. Yeah. Uh, well, not to throw out other, you know. Um, Mexican restaurants around town because La Hacienda is the one that we we want to be going to. But mm-hmm. the ones that I've ventured to, uh, boy, I feel like salsa is the only real staple. I always think it's more for for guac or uh, or queso. Yeah, I tell you, we used to go to Bloomington and go to Chi Chi's. Chi Chi's was the date location, <laughs> Mexican restaurant out in Eastland Plaza in Bloomington. And it was basically every weekend. And then every weekend, uh, my girlfriend at the time always wondered why I would have to stop in Stanford on the way home and run into the woods. <laughs> like, I was going to say, with your with your road game issues, boy, I don't know. Yeah, if Friday might be it was best. never. It was bad, and it started early for me too. It was bad. It was. I mean, I'd say I think I think something flew out of the back of my truck. I better go see. It was an excuse like that every single time. Everyone. I love that. That is terrific. Wait a minute. I think it flew over here behind this really big oak tree. Hold on one second. I'll be back. Give me two and a half minutes. I'll be back. It'll be longer than that, too, unfortunately. (laughs) Kevin Bowen's with us, so you're going to see, and I guess you guys get to talk to Anthony Richardson this weekend, too, right? Yeah, so Friday and Saturday, Mm -hmm. uh, rookie mini camp, and then I believe he meets the media, I think we were told Saturday, so more of a, you know, hey, talk about your first NFL experience in the field, so that's what it's all about. Um, You know, he'll get these two days this weekend, and then he'll get 13 spring practice sessions around that. The other 13 will be with veterans in May and into June as well, so those will be the opportunities for him to try and I think put himself in a position to where when Shane Steichen starts mapping out a training camp plan, uh, he's getting some first-team reps. Yeah. It's, I was uh, talking to Zach Kiefer, and I'd ask him, I said, to me, I've got no brakes on this because he told me to pump the brakes on wanting to get Richardson out there. And I said, listen, the, the clock's ticking on me right here. Punch that clock. I mean, punch that clock, roll with what you believe in, because to me, I want to see this thing get rolling sooner rather than later. And that's kind of how I feel regarding Richardson. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm a believer in baptism by fire. I think you play him as as early as you can. It's not like you need to throw out, you know, Britannica Encyclopedia playbook for him week one. You know, you can dial it back wherever you feel necessary. 
you know, create plays that he feels super comfortable with and, um, you know, throw them out there. Wins and losses, not the end of the world by any means. Um, and, and I think at times, you know, 13 games in college, like this dude needs to play football. I've said this, you know, endlessly. I, I, there's no position in sports that differs more from practice than a game than, than quarterback. I mean, you literally wear a different colored jersey in practice. Grover Stewart was talking about it today, how he can't you know, get his hands on him. In, in practice, um, and, and I just feel like when you look at guys that have sat, you know, I have, obviously if you look at the best player in the NFL right now, he sat his rookie season in Patrick Mahomes. Well, I think people forget Mahomes played over 30 games at Texas Tech. I mean, over 30 games, and Anthony Richardson's played 13. So I don't think you want to fall into this trap where you wait too long, you get into a Trey Lance situation. You know, those would be some of my concerns, some of my worries. Um, to me, I, I, A, I think he's wired in, in the right way to kind of handle adversity. And if he doesn't handle it very well, then I'm, you know, I don't really know if he'll ever kind of be able to reach that, that, that pinnacle level. So I don't have like this big concern over, oh boy, if you throw him out there and it doesn't go well, he might never recover. Um, I think part of it is he realizes there is a lot of growth to his game that needs to occur. It's not like he set the world on fire in college by any means. So I don't think he's going to walk in there you know, thinking that if he doesn't have any success, it's just the end all for it. So um, I am a fan of uh, of playing him very, very early. It's uh, Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Weekday mornings here on the fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And he's also a big fan of chips and salsa and maybe a little queso there before uh, they bring out whatever you order at La Hacienda on Cinco de Mayo coming up on Friday. Again, 3 until 6 or there longer. Uh, with Heaven Hill Distillery and Luna Azul Tequila coming up on Friday, we'd love to see you all out there. I, I look at it, Chris Ballard, and it, it's still kind of funny to me, and I bet you agree, that there are some people that believe that he's got to string together some wins this season to stay. Now, first, I don't at all, you know, even with a young quarterback, I don't expect things to look as messy and as bad as they did because it was a circus a year ago. So automatically, I think it's going to be get better because of that. But to me, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, I'm assuming you do. I mean, this is a project here. This is a project that's going to get this year. It's going to get a year number two to start to really find the footing. And then that that proof coming up in year number three. So to me, it's three years for Ballard. You got six-year deal with Steichen. I mean, everybody is firmly in place, even with another bad season, correct? Yeah, it, it would have to look, I mean, horrific for it, it to really unfold like that. Because then you get into the awkward situation, John, is, you know, if you fire Ballard, okay, does that new GM that walks in, does he say, well, Shane Steichen wasn't the coach that I hired. You know, I don't want Shane Steichen. Or you just naturally create an awkward dynamic, i.e. Chuck Pagano. And I get that Pagano obviously had been the head coach for, you know, five years or whatever the number was when, when Ballard walked in. And then, of course, he didn't last after that 2017 season. So uh, that that's also just kind of a murky situation you, I think, want to stay away from as well. Uh, but, yeah, this is I, – I'd be stunned, honestly, if, if Ballard uh, got canned here anytime soon. I mean, contractually, for what it's worth. I know it didn't matter for Frank Wright, but, you know, he is under contract. I think it's through 2026. So, uh, that obviously would be something that Jim Irsay wouldn't want to go down that path either. Uh, and if you look at the schedule, I mean, not to get too, like, win-loss in the month of May, but, I mean, you do play in the easiest division in the AFC, and then you also play the NFC South this year, which – you know, when you look at that division, I mean, the best quarterback is Derek Carr, and then it's Bryce Young and Desmond Ritter and Baker Mayfield. So it's certainly not, you know, anywhere near what you could be getting from a schedule standpoint. I think Vegas, if I saw correctly, the over-under right now is like six and a half. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it will depend on does Jim Mercy kind of view this season and almost how the Pacers viewed this year where, uh, hey, the wins are great, but at the same time we are totally content with making sure that we're – in the right spot with the lottery because by all accounts, this 2024 draft is, is terrific and, you know, much more than just those two quarterbacks at the top. So it would not be the end of the world whatsoever if you found yourself in the top five. And, you know, the fact that Ursay and I know Ursay has been at two ends of the spectrum. He obviously saw it with Lux first year, and then he saw it with Peyton's first year. Um, 
from a win-loss standpoint, 11 wins with Luck and then three with Peyton. So I, I, I tend to think Jim is, is definitely going to be patient and, you know, realizing this is a multi-year thing. Yeah, I no question about that, too. And I know we're on the same page regarding this being a Steichen pick. I mean, everybody had a voice, but he had the loudest voice. And, Kev, that's the way that it should have been. Yeah, I, I was a huge, huge advocate of that. I mentioned it on our show. They tweeted out the night before the draft that, that, that Shane needs to have the, the most say by far of the big three. Um, I do think there are certainly reasons why Jim Irsay and Chris Boward were big, big Anthony Richardson fans too. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was like, you know, if you take the top 10 people in that organization, I don't know if all 10 signed off on it. Uh, granted, I don't know if you're ever really going to find um, – a pick where all 10 sign off, especially one that I think has such a unique background like Anthony Richardson does. But I think when you're talking about the big three, um, I would think that all three of them were, were, were certainly on the same page. And, you know, Steichen, I think it's fair to ask the question, and I know it's a bit of a hypothetical, but if Raheem Morris is your head coach, if Wink Martindale's your head coach, does Chris Ballard make this draft pick? I don't know. Um, I think the fact that you have Steichen – and his background speaks for itself. And then the fact that, you know, no matter what happens, you know, if you had Morris or Martindale and you have this great offensive success early on, that offensive coordinator of yours could leave and take a head coaching job somewhere else, kind of like we're seeing in really today's NFL where the young hot coordinator offensively seems to be the popular trend for head coaching hires. With Shane Steichen's presence here, you aren't going to have that major offensive you know, turnover at some point, you're going to reach a level of consistency that for however long Anthony Richardson's here, in all likelihood, you know, Shane Steichen's here and he's calling the plays and he's he's running the show. So I think that is a uh, a big part of why you made that hire back in February and yep. you know, probably um, a huge reason why you went that direction and maybe you don't go that direction if you don't have that offensive-minded head coach. Kevs, it's funny. I, I thought about this the other day because somebody brought it up to me. Let's just say – they win in Minnesota on that Saturday, which I think is relatively easy to assume they certainly should have. Same going in Dallas with the way that they crapped themselves in that fourth quarter. You could argue the Washington game. I'm telling you, you get a couple and certainly three more wins, and Saturday's here. Ballard's probably not here, and Anthony Richardson is probably not here. You know how drastically things would be different had they won one of those games, especially the one in Minneapolis, that they absolutely should have and they didn't? Yeah, obviously the historical nature to that one. You know, Mike Mike Chappell and I, I, I feel like you can ask him when you have him on um, – Tomorrow, I feel like I talked him into this, but you know, him and I were kind of going back and forth in the press room a little bit over the weekend. I think if they beat Philadelphia, Jeff Saturday's here. Like, I, I, to me, if Jalen Hurts doesn't, you know, yeah, I can see that. Zone I can and, see it. Yeah, I, I think the magnitude of that win, beating Sirianni, and, and then you just have the trickle down effect. Then you obviously don't have Spike in here, and and maybe you don't feel as comfortable making the the Anthony Richardson type pick because maybe you don't view Jalen Hurts in the same light. I know it all sounds crazy, but I'm just trying to nope. picture how Jim Irsay would have reacted to all of that. Um, and, and again, it is, we are very early in this process, but if you want to look at the boxes of, of hope of entertainment and of just a modern approach to football, you are checking now all three of those boxes. And when you had Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan, running out of the tunnel on a weekend, week-out basis to end the year, and I guess Nick Foles got a couple strikes there late, uh, you were certainly not checking that box whatsoever. Um, so you, from a, again, and, and, and people might say, well, you know, I don't care about hope. I don't care about entertainment. Those don't really matter to me. Okay, even if you don't, just modern-wise, I mean, you now have a chance, whether it's the style of your quarterback or more so the age of your quarterback, to build something. And you were going absolutely nowhere, especially last year. I think you could make the argument really ever since Andrew Luck retired because um, I don't think you ever really took that, that shot. You could call Carson Wentz one of them, but I think Philadelphia told you everything that you needed to know. And, and there's just no real recent example 
of a team dumping a quarterback and another team picking up that QB and having like five to six years of success. You know, maybe Kirk Cousins. Um, but again, I, I don't even know if you would classify that as it. So uh, that's why I, I just feel like this is the move that is so needed to inject life in this franchise. And they will be certainly less boring than they were last year. And they, I think, are going down the right path. Now the question is, you know, can he get to an acceptable level as a passer to get there? And I think another element we haven't really talked about, John, with Richardson, his accuracy certainly is, is the biggest topic. But the guy played 13 games in college, and I would argue he was not in many meaningful, meaningful moments um, of like, all right, this is the fourth quarter of a game to get you to the SEC title. Or this is a C.J. Stroud final drive against Georgia. Like those sorts of things, you just don't know with with Richardson. You know, Tennessee, he played really well. LSU, one of his better games. Kentucky against Will Levis, awful. Uh, Florida State, you know, Florida's biggest rival, didn't play well at all either. So you can probably look at it, you know, both ways of that. I think that is an unknown that we focus so much on his accuracy, but also with how the NFL is, we know how games come down to the fourth quarter. Can that guy deliver for you in those moments? People are going to think this sounds silly, but I am curious. Do you think if, let's just say, Anthony Richardson does not start, and the Colts with Gardner Minshew see surprisingly early success, would that be good or bad for this franchise and their long-term quarterback selection? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think it would be the greatest thing in the world, to be totally honest with you. Uh, I, I think what you need out of this season is you need Anthony Richardson to show you signs of development, and you need a top 10 pick. And I could argue preferably a top five pick. Um, I think it's very similar to the Pacers season in that Benedict Matherin showed you something. Tyrese Halliburton certainly showed you even more. But most importantly, you know, we'll find out, I guess, whatever, in two weeks that you're going to get a top whatever it is, eight pick out of it. And so I think that is where you're at right now. Because you get into the awkward situation with, a successful start by menu by Minshew, which I know insert your jokes here about successful start to cold seasons, but that would get into, okay, you know, are you turning your back on the veteran guys in that locker room? How do they react to that? I mean, as wild as it sounds, you know, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, if Trevor Lawrence tears his ACL in mid September, who's the favorite to win this division? Like it, does it go to Tennessee? I mean, what is Tennessee's approach? Like, are they going Tannehill? Are they going Levis? Where are they going? Like, all of a sudden, this division becomes like a race to probably eight wins, which I guess is what we thought it was for large chunks of last season. But you have no idea because the youthful nature at all the quarterbacks, um, you just kind of turn this division upside down. So, yeah, I, I know it goes against so much of what, you know, competition is about, but Boy, a three and one, four and one start by Gardner Minshew. Yeah, it'd be nice to talk about wins versus losses from last season, but I don't think that's exactly what you'd be want, what you want out of the season, considering how massive it is to develop Anthony Richardson. I, I do think that if you want the positive signs, you want Anthony Richardson a part of those positive signs. But I also can't deny the fact that man, this place has been star starved for any success. So I'm sure they would probably take that certainly success wise in the moment. Hey, before I let you go, did you see Dewan Jones and that information that why he went into the fourth round and went so late, I guess, was because he said some things in the whole Q&A process about his dream was to play in the NBA, not in the NFL. Anyway, uh, this was ongoing. Albert Breer and others were tweeting about this, and then Dewan Jones himself from Ben Davis uh, tweeted out false. Like, where do you all get this information from? Did you read any of that? I I, I saw just a headline. So he, he... Give that to me again. He dropped because he told them his dream. Of yeah, here, here, here's what he said. He said he was uh, mocked by many as a first-round pick in 2023 draft, but he fell to the fourth round. Uh, Jones told teams during the interviews that it was his dream to play in the NBA, not the NFL, which turned off those teams. Uh, it also says he 
dealt with weight questions and mishandled Senior Bowl and Pro Day, according to Albert Breer. And PFF Mark Jones going 11th overall to the Titans a day before the draft. 33rd team had him as high as 8th overall uh, to the Falcons. Anyway, whatever. Uh, the response from Dewan Jones was saying, this is false. Where do you get your information? Which made me laugh. So, didn't know if you saw it. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was awesome when NFL Network, when he was drafted, how they just showed highlights of him from Ben Davis, basketball highlights. Um, I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But, um, yeah, I, I would – I guess senior bowl questions, I know we kind of opted out of that a little bit earlier. Uh, weight questions, but hey, I, I would tend to think kind of dream of the NBA. I don't know how much stock I, I would put into that. Agreed. What you guys doing tomorrow morning? Uh, what are we doing? I think we've got – I think we got the Carolina play-by-play voice on, talk a little Josh Downs. He might be having Josh Downs potentially later mm-hmm. in the week. Um, so hopefully we'll get him on because I do think he's a key key part to it all. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as you said, Prefontaine will be stretching in studio for us. Uh, Bart Diggler writes this. Did I miss a lip herpes announcement uh, via YouTube Live Inside the Lounge? And my response is I announce all my STDs with authority on this show. Yes. <laughs> Always. Did I miss that? I don't hide from the STDs, Kev. Do you? Well, um, yeah, I, I hopefully am not <laughs> hiding from them. <laughs> I don't believe I have any. So, um, does Matt, yeah. does Maddie ask you why you come on with me every week? Does she question this? Do you think this is a bad decision? I think it's usually my my father in law usually texts me and yeah, is like, bad. "Man, are you are you are you are you sure about that?" But yeah. uh, he, he he would be a big fan of the La Hacienda action coming up on Friday. I know that. We'll bring him up there and we'll just get him hammered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Just bring him on air. <laughs> here, drink a couple of these and then come on here. What do you yeah. think what do you think about your son in law really? Here's some truth serum. Sure. Tell us what you really think. Yeah, on on Wednesday, you know, I was just talking to your son-in-law about STDs. So yeah, <laughs> here you go. Time to sign tequila and answer that one. Kevin Aquari, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. Kevin Bowen, we'll see him at La Hacienda on Cinco de Mayo on Friday. Thanks, Kev. All right, see you, John.